Morning. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. Hope you have a great day. Um, I was thinking about this, and like Father's Day happened, I think, like 60 years after Mother's Day um, had started. And it was, you know, a shocker. No, but um, uh, I was thinking, why didn't they do it in the fall? You know, so we can just like watch football all day. But um, we got the US Open, and I hope your Father's Day is great. Um, I heard Father, you know, Happy Father's Day as I was leaving the home being yelled at me from upstairs. And I think she was just saving her energy because this afternoon is going to be epic. I mean, I can't wait how I'm going to be just honored as a father. And so, uh, yeah, I, um, it's, I might just cut this short so we can just let the festivities begin. But um, anyway, Happy Father's Day, dads. Um, let's see. One of the things you noticed was July 9th, we're going to have one gathering, 10 o'clock. It's going to be one of our just fun family um, deals. We come together and we worship God, and then we have um, food trucks and things for the kids and have music, and it'll just be a fun time um, being together. And um, if that might have triggered in your mind, hey, last year didn't, if you were here last year, last summer, didn't we have one gathering just the whole summer? And I, so I want to talk to you about that a little bit. Um, yes, we did. And summer is a uh, time where people are busy with their schedules, and so sometimes regular attendance gets interrupted a little bit on Sundays, and so our numbers are down a little bit. And so we thought, okay, let's just have one gathering. We have enough space to do it. And uh, so that was great in here. But where it wasn't great was um, young families having one of your two options you know, eliminated made it harder for young families to get to church um, last summer. So we saw our young family attendance go down, and it's like, we don't want that to happen, and we want to, we, we want to serve um, young families. And, and uh, the truth is, is since COVID, when people can start coming back in person to church, our numbers have continually grown, in-person numbers. And so we're super pumped about that. But one of the, that area, the group of people that is growing the most rapidly is um, young families and young children. And so we have, we have more kids in our children's ministry um, this morning than we did before COVID. And so that is an awesome, awesome thing. We love that, yeah. And um, so we want to keep that going, so we don't want to mess with that, so we're going to stay two gatherings for the summer. Um, but also, I want you to know, because uh, we have so many kids coming, we have a real need for more people to help out. And so, first of all, I want you to know that if you are a young family and you got your kids here and you're saying, Bill, just be happy about that. And don't ask us to do it. It's like, I am happy, and you just sit back and relax, and I hope this is an hour and a half or so, an hour and 15 minutes that, that is a, uh, a breath of fresh air to you, not only because you get physical rest, um, but because your heart and your soul is, uh, is refreshed. And so I'm glad about that. Some of you have served in our, in our children's ministry in the past, and so you have the background checks and stuff like that all taken care of. Um, and if you're open to, to serve again, it now would be a great time to do that. And so the easiest way to, to let us know about that is just go down into the uh, family entrance 
um, right after we're done and let people know they're behind the desk that you're um, open to start serving again. If you've never served with us in the children's ministry before, um, you can sign up for that as well. And, uh, and I just want you to know a few things. First of all, if you start serving with us, it doesn't mean that now I am serving for the rest of my life and I, have, I will never get a break. It doesn't mean that you're, you're serving every Sunday. Um, we have, it doesn't mean that you're in charge of everything. Uh, we have lots of opportunities, and one of the opportunities is we need people uh, just to be there, to be with the kids, to make sure that our ratios of adults to children are good, and so that we can make sure kids are being um, ministered to and cared for and it's safe and all that kind of stuff. And so there's lots of different levels and opportunities to serve, and, um, and there's a need. This is the time of year where we're building our teams for the fall, and so we're building those teams as well. And um, so if, if it's crossed your mind, you know, I could do that. I could serve. Um, just take that as the Holy Spirit talking to you. Thus saith the Lord. Serve in our kids' ministry because you're going to have an impact on kids. It's a growing area, and we want to make sure it stays as phenomenal as it has been. And so um, you can do it. You can go down to the family atrium down there. You can um, go online. Go to rhkids.org, and on that you'll see an apply here, and you can just sign up there, and you'll be contacted. rhkids at rollinghills.org is another way to do it, and um, this, you know, this is a call we're putting out because we have a need, and uh, so you know, as family members, if you can step into that, we would really appreciate it. All right, Genesis 17 and 18 today. I hope to cover 17 in just a few minutes, and then we'll, we'll spend most of our time in 18. But uh, what I, first thing I want you to know, from chapter 16 that we talked about last week to chapter 17, 14 years pass, all right? And so we find that as we look at um, the book of Genesis that, I mean, there's big gaps, and it's not that nothing happened, but we just don't know exactly what happened. One of the things I'm encouraged about, though, as I look at chapter 17, is Abram is engaging and actually um, going to God and advocating for his son Ishmael. And so where um, he was just being a deadbeat dad in chapter 16, in chapter 17, it looks like, you know what, Abraham's growing. He, he, is, he is learning and he's taking responsibility for things he should be taking responsibility for. And we see that more as we get into 18. But um, so that's Chapter 17, verse 3, God reiterates with Abraham, you're going to be the father of, of a great nation, of multi-nations, and, and I'm going to um, bless the world through your descendants. And it's, it's ultimately a promise of the Messiah coming through the line of Abraham. And God says, this is an everlasting covenant. This is something that is not going to go away. It's dependent upon me and my faithfulness, and that's eternal. And so... Um, that's what it's based on. He says, I'm going to give you a sign of the covenant that you have trust in my promises. And so this sign is a thing called circumcision. And I think Abraham had to be thinking, hey, have you seen like the cool handshakes people are doing today? That would be a cool sign. You know, but it's, it's like, no, it's circumcisions. Okay. And so Abraham, 99 years old, circumcised and uh, does the same to the other men that are uh, trusting in this promise. Uh, 
God says to Abraham, as a result of you being father of nations, I'm changing your name from Abram to Abraham, which Abram means father, Abraham means father of nations. And so and that's what you should be known from then on. So we've been reading about Abram from now on in the Bible. He's referred to as Abraham. Sarah, also her name was changed. Well, Sarai's name is now changed to Sarah which was even a better thing. It was a major upgrade for her because she went from Sarai, which means contentious. It's like, good morning, contentious. It's good to see you today. It's like, oh, I don't know if that's a great thing. And, and to Sarah, which means princess. And so um, God spoke to her and said, this is what you're gonna be known as from now on. So that was great. So God makes it clear once again to Abraham that this promise is coming through you and Sarah, okay? And uh, which is a direct contradiction to what they tried to do the, the chapter before. Now, chapter 18, um, three special visitors come and uh, they, they are travelers and they wander um, into Abram's area. And um, the first, ver first eight verses of chapter 18 talk about this. And Abram rolls out the red carpet. Abraham rolls out the red carpet for him. You think, wow. I mean, he must have knew these guys were special, and, and not necessarily. I mean, one of the greatest values of Bedouin societies is hospitality, and the recognition that anybody who's traveling through are dependent upon the hospitality of the villages in which they travel. And so Abraham, I mean, rolls out the red carpet, greets them, um, uh, makes food for them, and is just treating them well, but we, you know, is, we're disconnected from that in our Western culture. Um, th this mentality still exists in the, in the East, in the Middle East. In fact, um, if you ever read the book or um, seen the movie Lone Survivor, I mean, his, survivor, his survival um, greatly was dependent upon this um, Bedouin value system of taking care of strangers who come through town. And so... Um, that was true then, and that's what uh, Abraham was doing. And then all of a sudden, it's changed, it's, it takes a change in verse 9. And so this chapter 18 is kind of broken up into two sections. And um, it's uh, the first, I don't know, 13, 15 verses in the second. And so the first one um, kind of starts in verse 9. And it says, they said to him, so they, these three travelers, said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And so um, Sarah was in the tent listening, hadn't been, uh, you know, hadn't come out, uh, and all of a sudden Abram's going, Abraham's going, what, how do you know about Sarah? And then all of a sudden it gets clear to him because he says to them, well, she's in the tent, and then all of a sudden the Lord said, and so the Lord here is coming to Abram as one of these travelers. And so this is called a theophany. It's an appearance of God to people in the Old Testament. Some people think it's a Christophany, which is a, the appearance of the pre-incarnate Son of God um, in the Old Testament, like we saw last, um, last week. And so God is coming to Abraham. He's getting weak in the knees because he's, placed, he's putting it together because um, they, they say to him, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent behind the door. Um, 
Abram's going, hey, this is not something I've been like sharing with everybody, especially now I'm 99 years old. They would just laugh at me. And so this is not something I've been telling other people about. And now all of a sudden these three strangers come and they say, hey, where's Sarah? Because um, the promise that God has given you is about to be fulfilled. And Abram, that's why it goes from they said to him to the Lord said, um, because now he's recognizing who he's in the presence of. Now, uh, verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Now, remember, they lived a little longer then than they do now. So, um, you know, relatively, they're still old. But when we think of 99, we think, wow, you know, he, he's living much longer than most. And that was not the case in their day. Um, and so Abraham and Sarah are old, however, advanced in years. And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah, hearing this, laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Um, the, the, the word picture that she paints says, I'm, I'm like a garment that's threadbare. It's like I've lived most of my life. And so this, this doesn't uh, seem like a realistic promise that God is making. And so, and then she refers to Abraham as, uh, my Lord is old. Um, and really nobody's, you know, debating that. Uh, if you read in the New Testament about Abraham in the book of Romans, in the book of Hebrews, at this time, when this promise is coming to Abraham and Sarah, um, they refer to him as Abraham, who was as good as dead. Okay, and so, um, so yeah, I think you're getting the picture, but basically it's, you know, Sarah has, uh, you know, she's gone through the hot flashes. You know, those are in her rear view mirror. And, um, and Abram is, Abraham is in need of a blue pill, which wasn't invented yet. And, um, and so that's kind of where they're at. And, and how I know that, and this was a shocker to me, as I'm studying it this week, and I'm looking at, different Hebrew words because um, you know there's a lot to a word and sometimes the translation just kind of gives us a simple idea of it and not the fuller picture. But when Sarah said, um, and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Like I've always thought, well, she's talking about the pleasure of having a child, you know, but no, she's not talking about that. She's made, it, it's shall I have sexual pleasure? It, it's a sexual word. And so um, what's interesting there is I, I think it's talking more, more than just her age. Um, I think it's a little window on, in her relationship with her husband and, and their lack of intimacy. And as we've been reading this story, we know that Sarah has every reason why to be upset and, what, and be wounded and hurt and have dealt with trauma um, not all because of Abraham's actions, a lot because of Abraham's actions, but also because of her own decisions. And uh, th their relationship has suffered, and I think that's part of her laughter. It's like, we're gonna get together again, and, uh, and things are gonna happen, and I'm gonna have a child, and it's not gonna kill me, you know, at my age. 
and I mean, there's just miracles all around this, but here's one of the miracles I think God had for him. I think God restored the relationship. I, I think would have been a tough relationship together with um, Sarah being barren and, and all of that, the implications of that in that day on her identity, with Abraham knowing that, I mean, his whole identity is based upon his line that he's leaving and yet and his name is father and yet he's not one. And then uh, finally he is, but it's because of um, him not following God's plan. I think there's just a lot there, a lot of hurt. And I think God wants to heal um, their relationship. Not only bless them with the child, but bless them with, with a renewed, restored relationship. What else God's doing, I think, is, is God has been coming to Abraham for 25 years and speaking to Abraham and saying, I'm gonna do something amazing through you. And through your descendants, the world will be blessed. And that is a promise that I'm making to you that is based upon my faithfulness. He did that six times that we read about in Genesis. This is the first time that Sarah ever hears it from God. It's the first time. I think God just wants to reassure Sarah. Sarah, this is not just a promise to Abraham, but this is a promise that involves you. And this is gonna be fulfilled through your relationship with your husband. And, and my promise will be fulfilled through your offspring. And so it's a beautiful, um, tender gesture by God to not only to Abraham, but to Sarah. And so here, as I look at the first half of Genesis 18, um, this is what I think jumps out at me, is God's grace is too wonderful to me. It's too wonderful to me. Now look at verse 14, and I think the point is really brought home here. It says, is, this is Sarah now talking to the Lord, who she just overheard say, Sarah's gonna have a kid a year from now, and, and she went, you know, yeah, right. And says she, she laughed to herself. So she might not have even done it out loud. So she thinks she's clear um, that you know, God didn't hear her. And so she says, is anything too hard for the Lord? No, this is actually the Lord telling her this after she laughed. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year. So he's reiterating the same promise promise, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. She goes, no, 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 I wasn't laughing. I, was, I didn't laugh. I, I believed you. And he's going, ah, no. He said, she said, I didn't laugh and because and she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And, um, and so listen, is anything too hard for the Lord? So this is God saying, hey, you, you think something's too hard for me? Now that word is another great word to look up in Hebrew. The word too hard for me actually means is it too extraordinary. And the root, the base of it is the idea of wonder. Is anything too wonderful for me? Man, that, that, that just deepens the meaning of what he's saying to her. And to me, it, it, it just encapsulates the good news of being a follower of Jesus. We get to follow Jesus and is like, is there anything too wonderful? And he's saying to Sarah, 
is there anything too extraordinary, too beyond, you know, beyond your wildest dreams, too wonderful that God can't do? And he's invited, inviting Sarah into, um, into wonder, into, into embracing God of the universe cares for you and is pursuing you and has made an incredible promise to you. Allow that to capture your imagination. Allow that to capture your thoughts. Now, I think this is, um, this is a great little picture. And, and if you talk to different people and they say, you know, hey, are you a Christian? And they say, well, yes. Well, you can, you can kind of tell between the person who's like a religious Christian, you know, somebody who just thinks, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my best, and then somebody who is really embracing the grace and the good news of Jesus. Because the first person says, hey, are you a Christian? They say, well, yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I just kind of, I made a decision, it made sense to me. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I am. No wonder, no amazement there. It's just a pat, yeah, it's a decision. It's just like, yeah, I made a decision to have eggs this morning, and oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's, it's, it's just flatline. You ask somebody, or somebody asks you, and you are overwhelmed by the goodness of God, and his good news is good news to you, and, and, you, and you recognize his, he's a gracious God who loves you, and they say, hey, uh, are you a Christian? And you say, yeah, can you believe it? I mean, one of, the, one of the fun stories that I get to hear is people who come into um, our little atrium out there on a Sunday morning, and maybe it's their first time, and they come here and, and, and they see somebody that they went to college with. I mean, they're in the same frat or sorority, and, and they look and they, and they see them and say, is that? No, it can't be them. They're at church. And then that person looks over and says, is that? No, no way. And then they talk and they go, hey, are, why are you here? Well, it's because I'm looking for a church because I just gave my life to the Lord. And they're going, what? And he's going, you too? And he's like, yeah, can you believe it? I mean, like we know each other. We know, I mean, we know. And can you believe there's a God who loves us and forgives us? I mean, it's, it's the wonder of the grace of God. And that's the journey he's invited us into. And, and, and you know, we get hung up with, like, intellectually, is under, you know, is believing in God, God, is that intellectually difficult you, for you? And some people are like, well, I don't know if I can be a Christian. I've got to clean up my act. I've got to be better before I ever think about coming to God. And that's just like missing the entire point of being a Christian. And so we think, yeah, I don't know if I can be a Christian because it's just too hard. And I just want you to know that is just wrong, wrong, wrong thinking. You don't understand what being a Christian is. But if you think, you know, the problem with me about being a Christian is just too wonderful to believe it's true. You're getting it. You're getting it. That's the wonder of our relationship with God and the grace of God. And that's the wonder that the Lord is inviting Sarah into. Is there anything too wonderful for God to do? And he's saying, hey, that's what I'm calling you into. 
Now, second part of chapter 18, we're going to start it in uh, verse 17. It says, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And so now God says, okay, there's another reason I'm here, not only to invite Sarah into this promise as well and to have her hear it from me, but I'm also here because um, I want to bring my justice into some evil that's happening to people in a, in a nearby city. And so, um, so God says, you know, do I, do I even share this with you, Abraham? You, this might be upsetting to you. And so this, this whole verses here are um, given to us to explain uh, the character of God in a way that humans can understand. All right, so the Bible is God revealing himself to us, God revealing his redemptive plan to us, but he's limited by our, under, our capacity to understand, and he's limited by our language that we use. And so he paints pictures for us to understand him um, based upon what we can understand and what we experience. And so that's called anthropomorphism, okay? It is God using words to, to uh, create an understanding that humans can relate to. So he's saying some things about himself to us that um, helps us understand him, but also creates questions like, what? Like, did God not know? Am, am I able to convince God to do something he didn't, wasn't planning on doing? And so that's this chapter, okay? And so he's giving us an insight to his character by explaining what's going on. Okay, so verse... Um, 19, for I have chosen him, Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. All right, and so he's saying, you know, Abraham's growing. He's been a train wreck. But you know what? Slowly but surely, he's learning to trust me. And he's learning who I am. And his character is being transformed to be more like my character. And so God says, Abraham is learning to lead and teach his family about how to keep the way of the Lord. What is that? By doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. So God's saying, man, you're connecting to my heart and you're connecting to my character and it's influencing you and my love and grace to you is transforming how you treat other people. And, and so now you are reflecting me to your family and the community around you. Why? Because you are doing right. You are treating people well. That's righteousness. Honoring people, caring for people, being kind and generous to people. You're treating people well and you're, you are actually looking to treat people well who have nothing to give to you in return. So you're looking for the disenfranchised, for the people who may be taken advantage of and abused, and you are treating all people with the dignity and the value that I have given them in creating them in my image. And so, yay, good job, um, Abraham. It says righteousness and justice means you're fair. You're looking out that people are treated fairly. And so it's not just, it's not just a legal thing, but it's also a everyday life thing. And so that's Abraham. So he's going to Abraham and he's saying, this, I see this happening in you. Um, and I'm about to do something that because other people near you 
are not treating people fairly. They're taking advantage of disenfranchised and fringe people and they're abusing them and they're violently, there's people who are violently suffering. And so that's what God is saying to Abraham. And so here's, as we look at these next verses, this is what I want you to, to see is, is, do you underestimate the, the impact that God can have in working through your life and the impact that God has in your life and how you can influence the actions of God. Because God and Abraham have a conversation. Abraham prays to God, and we find out that the prayers of a person growing to become more like Jesus, more like God, those prayers make a difference in what happens in the world and in the lives of others. So here we go. He says God has, God has chosen to keep the way of Yahweh. Uh, to keep is, is shamar, it means to keep, to guard. It means that Abraham is modeling it and he's teaching it, okay? Because he is doing righteousness. He's, he's um, treating people fairly and he's giving people their rights as human beings. And so, I um, mean, he's treating them as moral absolutes, okay? We, we, we kind, of, kind of flush moral absolutes. We think, well, you know, what's right? Well, you know, do what's right in your own eyes. And that was the problem in the Old Testament. He said, that's not a good plan. And yet that's one kind of we, we have grasped onto in our culture. It's like, well, what's right? What's good? What should be done? Well, what's your truth? And, um, and God is saying, that's actually not true. Well, how do you, how you know it's not true? Because he's saying righteousness and justice is based on the character of God. So do we want to know how to treat people right? We tap into what's the character of God and how does he want us to treat one another? And that character doesn't change. No matter what period of time we looked at, what culture we looked at, we look at, the character of God is continual. His character doesn't change. And so our moral norms for society as a follower of God do not change, all right? So they're, they're, not, they're not being shifted by the culture. The culture can't open, us, open our eyes and be used by God to open our eyes to ways that we maybe swung the pendulum away, you know, a certain direction and, we, and we're erring on, on this side, then it swings, oh, now we're erring on this side. But so it, it can be used by God to um, open our eyes to things. But the righteousness and the justice of God to be lived out in his followers is all throughout the Old Testament and it's all throughout the New Testament. And no matter what evil time you live, God says, engage and don't sin. Engage with people, treat them well, honor their, their, the image of God in them, look out for treating people fairly and look out for people who aren't being treated fairly and go to bat for them disadvantage yourself for those who are disadvantaged and being taken advantage of as a result. That is a follower of God if you're connected to my character. So that's, that's what he's saying, okay? So Genesis, um, well, this is Father's Day. Dads, here's a life verse for you. Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him that he may command his children. So you're teaching your kids what's right and wrong, how to teach people, or how to, how to treat people, love people, deal with people 
who are hard to love. Deal with evil people. How do you do that in a way that reflects the heart and the character of God? So you're teaching them, but what you're really doing is you're saying, follow me. It says, command his children and his household after him. He's saying, follow what I do. Look at my example. To keep the way of the Lord. How does God want us to live? He wants us to live by being kind and generous and to fight for fair treatment of all and especially anybody being oppressed and to, to teach our kids to do the same. I mean, that's, that's a life goal. I mean, dads, there's nothing we can do that'd be more important than that. I mean, in the midst of things happening in our world, we think it's drifting away from honoring God. Um, how do you respond to people in the midst of that? Um, you engage, you love people, but you don't become like the things that you're concerned about. You engage and don't sin. We have a tendency to say, okay, everything's going bad, I need to disengage. I need to disengage so I don't sin. And God says, no, engage and don't sin. That's a tougher thing to do, isn't it? But we like to disengage and then start studying um, the end times and finding out when God's gonna zap them. You know? I'm just going to sit in the dugout here, waiting on you, God. Don't want to really engage in the game because I, you know, I may play poorly. And so I'm going to sit in the dugout and wait on the rapture. And it's, it's, that, that's, not, that's not how to do it. Live righteously and justly, reflecting the character of God. And don't wait um, to be rescued. Engage and don't sin. That's, that's the path we're on as followers of Jesus. Throughout the Old Testament, same path. Throughout the New Testament, same path, all right? So now look how Abraham, who's growing in the character of God, responds to uh, God's plan to um, bring, uh, really, uh, judgment down on the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 20, then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is grave. The outcry, that says um, there's cries of the victims of, the, of, um, of injustice in Sodom and Gomorrah. The victims of, of injustice who are being mistreated and abused and trampled upon because they are marginalized and they're defenseless. God saying, I hear you and I care for you. And I'm coming to, um, to judge those who are just mindlessly or mindfully being evil against people created in my image. And so he comes and he reveals his plan um, to Abraham, who knows Sodom and Gomorrah are evil. He's got, he's got a, a nephew who's living in Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Lot, Lot's married, has two kids. Lot is engaged and sinning. Okay, he, he's, he's engaged in his, in his community and he's being influenced by it. And so what does Abraham do? Does he say, okay, yeah, these people are evil. Get them. Get them. But hey, would you save four? Um, my nephew Lot kind of raised them. Um, his wife and two kids, they're down there. Would you save four and then just sick them? You know, just take care of the rest. Give them what they deserve. Is that what he does? Um, 
verse 23. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous in the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? So what he's doing, he's appealing to the character of God that God just said you're growing in. And he's praying for the safety of the righteous and the wicked. If there's 50 righteous, would you spare the whole city? Yeah, I know it's, it's nasty. It, it's, it's embarrassing what's happening. I mean, I'm at risk because I'm a follower of you and they know it. And my, my well-being is at risk. But my heart goes out to them. Because you know what? If there's 50 righteous, God, you could use those 50 to impact people. And so maybe more of them could experience your grace that they don't deserve just like I don't deserve. And so when he's seeing the wickedness of men who are following their own selfishness, who are following um, the enemy of God, his heart aches for him. And he says, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare them all? Because I think the grace that your grace can be used in the lives of those 50 so that others may know you. I mean, what a heart. What a heart. He's saying, I do not, I'm, I'm claiming your righteous and your justice, and I know that this, these things are evil. And I celebrate the fact that you are a good and just God. And so that one of the things that reminds me is that we need to celebrate is uh, tomorrow's Juneteenth. And it's a time where we remember a, a, uh, a time in our country's history where people were oppressed in a terrible way. And they did not have a voice for themselves. And uh, if you don't know what Juneteenth is, it's a newer um, national holiday, but it refers to June 19th, 1865, when finally slavery came to an end in America. And you say, well, hold it. Uh, Actually, that happened on January 1st, 1863, when the Emancipation Proclamation was signed and became a national law. Two and a half years later, there's still 250,000 slaves in Texas. And finally, on this day, June 19th, 1865, two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, freedom was given to all slaves. I mean, praise God for that. And so as followers of Jesus, we need to say, hey, man, this is a, you know, this is a national holiday. We should celebrate that as a nation. But as followers of Jesus who want to become more like God and want to have his character impact ours, uh, man, the righteousness and the justice of God took a step forward on June 19th, 1865. Now here's what ticks me off, is because of the political climate in our nation, 
this conversation has been co-opted by people to their advantage who advance their political things or special interests. And, um, and it has messed up some Christians in recognizing that we need to celebrate the righteousness and the justice of God. And so we need to lead the celebration in moments like this. And we need to fight and lead the fight when we see injustice done towards people who are being taken advantage of. And so this weekend, just don't blow it off. Just don't, just don't zoom by it. Just don't wonder, oh, a new holiday. No, I mean, thank the Lord for a Juneteenth and that we're celebrating something that's really connected to the heart of God. Our righteousness can impact the lives of others. There were righteous followers of God who impacted our nation to free the slaves. There were righteous, I mean, Abraham, as a righteous follower of God, is pleading with God, and he may save an entire city from the judgment of God. And God's listening to him. Listen to this. You're righteous. Dads, here we go again. Proverbs 14, 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Fear of the Lord, big word. It, it's, it's more than just I'm frightened, but it's like, yeah, I'm overwhelmed by the power and the majesty of God. But also it has the idea of awe. I am in awe of who God is. Okay, and so he says, the fear of the Lord um, has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. Your genuine growing fear and understanding of who God is and his greatness and who you are in comparison to his greatness and yet overwhelmed with wonder because of his extension of grace to you, it not only impacts you, it impacts your kids. It's a promise from God. Your kids are going to see it. It'll impact your kids. So our growth in the character of God has an impact. And I mean, and look at how prayer changes things. Abraham says, hey, what about 50 righteous? Would you spare them if there were 50 righteous? And in verse 26 God says, if I find Sodom in Sodom, 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham is, is, is pleading with God based on God's character. And God says, hey, so there's 50, yeah, 50 righteous people in an unholy city I can use them to have an incredible impact. So there's hope. By the way, Ezekiel 33:11. I love this verse. It talks about the heart of God. And it's God just like, he's looking to um, bring judgment on people. You know, I, I went down to uh, New Orleans a week and a half after Katrina hit and just got to drive supplies into New Orleans where they were setting up um, aid stations for when people were gonna be allowed back in. And one of the things uh, that I was hearing while I was on the road driving, hearing from radio uh, and Christians saying, 
Yeah, the hand of God brought judgment on New Orleans. And I just wanted to reach through the radio and in Christian love, strangle people. Um, is God a just God? Yeah. Will justice take place? Guaranteed. Is God patient? Yes. Why? Because he wants more to know him. Here's his heart. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That's the heart of God. God, if there's 50, will you spare Sodom? Yeah. And then Abraham goes, how about 40? God goes, yeah. 30? Yeah. 20? Yeah. 10? Yeah. I mean, is it the end times? Yes. Is, is I mean, he gonna come because everything's getting so evil? Is he gonna come and bring his justice on now? Well, just pick a time in the world, a time in human history where there is not evil running rampant. If he wanted to wipe us out because of his justice, he would have done that a long time ago. But he's patiently waiting and giving us a chance to turn to him. How many people would save an entire city of Sodom and Gomorrah in the midst of their evil? 10, 10 righteous. So where's our heart? As we live in a time when God says, you know what, what rules the world throughout humanity since the fall is the world has a messed up system. There is somebody influenced the world that's the enemy of God and we're selfish. And so we're gonna have a messed up world we live in. And how do we respond to God? Well, we, we, reset, we accept his mercy and his grace in our life that we don't deserve. And then we engage and don't sin. We, we love the people around us. And as we see the world get maybe more and more evil, Instead of acting and asking God for his judgment on this evil world, wipe them out, our hearts should break like Abraham's. And God said, hey, would you, would you use the few to impact many with your grace that I am overwhelmed I've gotten to experience? That's Genesis 18. Let's pray. God, may you change our hearts to become more like yours. Would you um, allow us to see people as you see people? Allow us to understand that your righteous character and justice has an impact on us, but also has an incredible impact through us on the lives of others. Would we be your followers who engage and treat people well and love people and fight for justice of those who are being abused and misused? And while at the same time um, hating evil, 
just staying away from um, allowing ourselves to be sucked into wrong thinking and wrong living. And so, Father, we um, just confess to you that some of our thinking has not been aligned to the things that we've read today. And so, Father, would you protect our souls? And as we um, read more about you and your word, as you speak to us and as we listen, would you grow, grow our hearts and our souls to be more like yours? We thank you for this, and it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.